Amen. Good morning. I have a word from the Lord that I promise is very chasse. I don't know how he does that. I do not. We will work on chasse in it here this morning <laughs> with the word of God. But it's good to be here this morning. Um, really, really excited uh, just about what God wants to do and what he really wants to speak to you. This morning in our series talking about um, unlikely heroes, you know, portraits of unlikely heroes. And this is a message, honestly, that I've been so excited to preach for about a year and a half. Uh, about, about a year and a half ago, Pastor Steve had one of, uh, one of his pastoral meetings where he brought us together and we actually, it was nice out, we went to the park. And what we just began to talk about was different things God was kind of birthing on our, on our hearts if we had the chance to just preach anything we wanted to. And we took a good hour, hour and a half just talking about things that were on our heart. And um, I had brought up, I said, man, I would love to do a series just on heroes of the faith, people in the Bible, you know, and just talk about, you know, who they are. And um, it's a funny thing, you know, here, because, you know, man, when you're at Bethlehem, it is 100 miles. I mean, you look at our bulletin, you look at our website, you hear the announcement. There is so much going on. And, and it's like when you work for, for, for Pastor Steve Malazzo, it is, it is a, everything that you guys see here on a Sunday morning, that doesn't stop. It is just a hundred miles an hour one way. It's like, I always equate it to like, if, if um, it's, it's like the dog track. Anybody ever been to the dog tracks? You know, you people are terrible. All of you who raise your hands. Henry, come back and chasse them right now because you admitted. But it is, it's like chasing the rabbit and you never catch up, right? It's just always, you're moving and it's great because the staff just, they do a great job of just falling in line. You know, it's like we're going this way, you know, Diana moves into kids mode, Jared moves into uh, youth mode, you know, Josh, everybody just kind of moves this, this, this. And with it, all of this going, as we kept saying, like, what's God telling us now in the next series? This series kind of get putting off and putting off because it just didn't feel the right time. But I always kept going, let's not forget the heroes of the faith, the heroes of the faith, the heroes of the faith. And, and Pastor Steve was like, you know what, I think now's the right time. And I said, I agree. Let's do this. Because to me, I knew exactly who I wanted to preach on. I knew exactly, I wanted to preach on somebody who just resonated the most to me. And I want to take a quick moment here. I want to recognize uh, one of the proudest moments is when you're a father, is having, you know, you're, you're just your children love what you do and be just appreciative of what you do. And I have my two daughters here this morning, and every single time I preach on a Sunday morning, they come up to me. And they go, Dad, we want to sit in the service, and then we want to hear you preach. So my son is three years old, and he is a monster. And so I decided, I said, hey, Joe, you want to hear Daddy preach this morning? He goes, no. <laughs> and then I think he ran his head into the wall or something. <laughs> and so I was trying to just make a moment during worship, and I leaned over to my little, my little princess, Ariana, and I go, Ari, there's a lot of people here today. And she looked back. She goes, yeah. I said, I'm a little nervous. I'm going to give you and your sister the microphone. And you guys go up there and preach. And they looked at each other and they go, yeah, that'd probably be better. Why don't you just go ahead? <laughs> and I thought, that's not how that was supposed to play out. <laughs> but we're talking about Peter this morning. And, and one of the things that I love about Peter is I love that Peter is us. Peter's our story in, 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 in a sense. And some of the things that we're going to discuss and we're going to listen to and we're going to just kind of dialogue here about this morning is the life of Peter and, and, and some main points about him. We're going to talk about Peter's transformation from fisherman to disciple. We're going to talk about the confessions that Peter made and we're going to talk about one of the most important things that ever happened in Peter's life is the restoration of Jesus unto the Messiah. 
And between transformation and restoration is, in Peter's story is, is sandwiched several different confessions that he makes that I want you to grab a hold of uh, this morning. Confession opens the doors to restoration and transformation. The confessions of our heart begin to open the doors to restoration and transformation. And we're going to focus on the fact that, yes, Peter denied Christ three times, but he made four incredible confessions that led to his transformation, which ended in him being restored to, to Christ. And they're all going to be intertwined in my teaching here this morning. And why did I pick Peter? Out of so many awesome heroes of the faith, out of so many awesome heroes in the Bible, I picked Peter's story because Peter's story is real. Peter's story is personal. Peter is me. Peter is you. Peter is us to a degree. And that's what makes it so personal. As we read through the gospel and we look at Peter's story, it's a story that involves a calling. It's a story that involves risk. It's a story that involves a big mouth. How many of us can relate to that aspect of Peter? Everybody's pointing to their wife's head. No, this, this, oh, you're all in trouble. It's a story that involves fumbles. It's a story that involves denials. Peter's story is a story at the same point that's a story of grace. Peter's story is a story of love. It's a story of renewal. And having said this, we do realize that the story of Peter in the first place is really the story of Jesus. As I want to look at one particular aspect that's very, very relevant to this particular area when it comes to Peter. And if any of you are like me um, and you had an upbringing within the church, I was raised Catholic. I was an altar boy. I did the whole thing all the way first uh, through eighth grade. I, I went uh, to, to Catholic school. Um, I, had, I did confession, first Holy Communion, everything that comes within it. And as I was raised, there was a huge, huge emphasis on St. Peter. There just was. It was a big thing. It was hanging in my house. If I dare came near it, my grandmother would throw pans at me. Um, and then at about sixth or seventh grade, my grandmother went to a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting and got totally blown away. Um, uh, by the Holy Spirit, got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I remember the day I came home from school. It was about fifth or sixth grade, and my grandmother comes, and she's got a really thick accent. She goes, Jimmy, come here, come here. She goes, I speak tongues. <laughs> I said, at sixth grade, I go, we all do. <laughs> no, 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 look, look. And she, she had gone to this prayer meeting, and what she had done in, in, in the brand new area of her faith of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, she goes, I hear people to speak tongues. I speak tongues. I write down, Baba, Kaka, Mama, I say, you say, let's go. And my grandmother was going at it right then and there. And there was this transformation that began to happen in my household as my grandmother raised me of us um, um, moving from Catholicism into, into the, the, the spirit-filled living that we believe now. But as we look at one particular um, area or denomination, if you would, in their views on particularly of it, particularly the Catholic Church, we have to understand this is that the Roman Catholic Church, as I was taught, um, they claim that Peter was the first pope, the successor, if you were, to Christ. They said that, 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 that he is therefore uh, Christ's visor or his representative, in, in a sense, and visible and infallible head of the church, that he is the head of the church right now, having power and authority over all apostles in the entire church. Now, we do not believe this, per se, in our believing here. Catholic leaders also claim that Christ built his church upon Peter and gave him the keys to unlock and, clo and close 
the kingdom of heaven and hell to anyone whom he chooses. I remember these teachings that I was being brought up with um, as a child. And they assert that the popes in the past history up to the present are Peter's successors. Now I want to unwrap this a little bit on the main context of teaching in the scripture of where they teach out of. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16. And if you don't remember anything I say in this particular realm of my teaching, understand this, that the church is built upon Christ and Christ alone. The church is Jesus Christ. He is the head. He is the hero. He is the beginning and the end. And this is what we believe. This is the basis of what I'm going to unwrap here in a little bit of maybe some uh, uh, deeper dialogue that might get a little tricky. But listen to this. In Matthew chapter 16, we're talking about, remember in the beginning I said we're going to talk about several of Peter's confessions. Here's one of them. When Jesus came into the region of Caesar... Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, now take, take a moment here and understand, he's speaking to a group at this particular point. This is key to remember down the end. He's speaking to a group of people, no one individual. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and other Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now Jesus goes back to them, okay? Remember the key words here. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Again, speaking to a group. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus speaks to a group. One man speaks up and makes a confession, a confession of faith. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth and will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is the particular scripture that the Catholic Church will take and take out of context, because we have to understand this. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. We're going to do a little bit of a word study right now. And one of the most important things you have to remember is the New Testament was written in Greek from which Latin and English and other translations began to come out of. Now, Greeks, uh, Greek nouns, they have genders. This is important to know because this, the word Petros for Peter in the Greek is a masculine gender. And the word Petra for rock is a feminine gender. Now, Petros and Petra are two distinct words in the Greek. Petros, in its definition, uh, is a shifting. It's a rolling rock. One of the definitions for, for um, Petros is an insecure rock. This is why I relate to Peter. <laughs> because when Jesus looks at him, he's calling him that. Now, Petra is a solid, immovable rock. It is Mount Rushmore. It is nothing that a man can take down on his own. It is impenetrable. It is a solid, solid rock. So that when we look at the Greek... In Matthew 16, 18, we, seem, we see something that is not obvious to the English uh, vernacular. We see this, that Jesus is saying this, You are Peter, or you are Petros, and upon this Petra, I will build my rock. Okay? We're with me so far? Do I got to throw in a couple, uh, somebody shout, or come on somebody, you know. I, I was going to think about doing a whole like, look at me, 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 but I, I don't... I don't do Pastor Henry or Steve well. So stay with me. This is all going to make great sense. So Jesus is looking at him and he's saying, You are Peter, Petros. Upon this Petra, I will build my church. So then we begin to ask ourselves, What is the Petra? What is the Petra that we're going? Go back to verse 16 where he says this. Simon Peter answered and he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Understand this, church. 
the Petros declares the Petra. The Petros declares the Petra. What do I mean by that? Peter goes into revelation confession here. The Petra is the confession that Jesus builds upon weak people who confess strong statements of faith. The Petra is the confession. It is the confession of the heart of Peter in the midst of people saying, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Out of all the group of people that he had in there, Peter could be knocked for whatever he could be knocked for at a certain point. But Peter was the one who stepped up and he said, you are the Christ. So when Jesus is saying, you are Peter, you are the insecure rock, you are the mess of a man that you will be. And upon the mess of the man that you will be, what I will build is upon many messes of men and women who are there, and that will, that, that will make strong statements and confessions of faith. I don't know about you, but that is awesome. To me, I studied that for like four hours this week, being blown away by the statement that Peter would make. They were blown away in the very, very moment as Jesus begins to re redefine who Peter is. He begins to do it on the statement of faith. So what we believe is this. We believe that Jesus is the sole person who builds this church, and he builds it upon people who he even knows are weak, movable, feeble-minded people. So when you want to look at the church, and you want to say the church is a mess and it's weak, you're right. And Jesus knew that from the very beginning. And he still redeems us. And he still uses us. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. So when we go back to the very essence of Jesus saying who he will build the church on, he knew exactly what he was doing. Imperfect, shaky, unstable people that he still loved enough to do all the things that he does for us. The Petros declares the Petra. We're confirmed by this in several different chapters. Listen to these in 1 Corinthians 3.11. It says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. The prophetic insight came into this many, many years ago, many, many years before Christ even came in Psalm 118.21-22. It says this, I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The stone which the builders rejected has become the Petra. Matthew 18 says this, Jesus, Jesus said this, truly I say to you, he's speaking to the disciples here again in the group, whatever you shall bound on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In Galatians 2 it says, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me because God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. So what apparently had been granted to Peter is now extended to all the apostles. Just as it's extended to all of us. The works that Christ desired for the apostles to do, for the disciples to move, for people, men and women of God to do, is extended for all of us. And we have to understand that because it's a key component as we look at the, the, the life of the disciples and we look at the commands that Jesus made to the disciples, we have to understand the importance that it's passed down and we are part of that lineage. We are part of that lineage. Simply put, Jesus demands active discipleship 
and he demands active evangelism. Where is yours in both of those areas? Where would you look in yourself? Where is your John 3.16? Where would you look in your own life and say, this is where I have an active discipleship within it? Within my life, within my scope of what God's given me, this is where my active evangelism is. I get a little peaked, okay? I get a little just aggravated when people will look at me. Well, evangelism is not my gift. That rubs me the wrong way. Now, major evangelism might not be your gift. You may go, I could never speak in front of a thousand people or lead hundreds of different people. But I will tell you this very, very firmly. If you know a lost loved one, if you know somebody who is broken, if you know somebody who is hopeless, if you know somebody who has no uh, worth or value within this life or no understanding of who the Savior is and you know if they died today, they would go straight to hell, you are called to a life of evangelism. If it's just for that one person, there is your mission. Don't stand before me and tell me you're not called to evangelism because you would have to stand before Christ and say, I'm not called to do the things you command me to do. That is disobedience. That is utter, utter disobedience. So how are you actively being discipled? How are you actively evangelizing? I love D.L. Moody. I love reading his sermons. I love reading about his life. I love reading the fanatical man of God that he was. D.L. Moody is one of my favorite people in all of church history. And D.L. Moody used to do this. He would hold these evangelistic crusades and they would go six, seven, eight hours into the night. And even before that, he would go into these towns and things that he would do was three or four hours before, he would say, I want as many seminary students that can come to just come and spend time to meet with me um, before. And he would sit with them for two or three hours and he would just pour and pray and pour and pray and pour and pray. And one of the things that D.L. Moody used to do all the time was he would take, um, he, he, he would rent this particular space that overlooked the city that he was ministering in. And we'd take all the seminary students and he would do this exercise and he would say I want you all to look out there and I want you to tell me what you see and a lot of these seminary students there's this one particular story that ended up happening in England all the seminary students came and then began to talk about the wickedness that they see of people I see a people who are just cold-hearted who are um, this and they need that and they need to be told that God's wrath is this and they were coming with this tone of just anger and angry at the people as opposed to a grace-filled heart towards people as opposed to a heart that that really challenges each other to let's go and win these people and it's it was said that dl moody began to cry for an hour straight awkwardly loudly and screaming even almost to a point and 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 and, and it said that in, in this one book that i have it says the room became significantly awkward and he brings himself up and he looks out and he says what i see is i see a lot of souls i see thousands of souls that will one day be lost forever if they do not find a savior. And he walked out of the room. And he left them with that haunting image. He left that with the heart of the matter is, is if you are able to stand in any group, any room full of people and go, these are people who will be lost forever if they do not come to know their savior, then you have a heart for evangelism. You have then now been commissioned to have a heart for evangelism. So we see one of Peter's confessions there now. Now we're going to move a little bit to the restoration process of who Peter is. Turn with me in your Bible to John 21. John chapter 21, and to give you a little layout of the land within here, John chapter 121 takes us past the crucifixion. It takes us past, more importantly, the three um, denials. 
uh, the, the, the three times where Peter says, no, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. It takes us past even the part where Jesus predicts you'll deny me. Peter says, no way. It takes us past that we fell asleep in the garden and Jesus said, could you not pray with me for hours? It takes us past the time where, 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 where Peter took the sword out and cut off the guy's ear. Now see, the fact is, is the reason I love Peter so much because I never understood several points where Jesus got really angry at Peter, that being one of them. You know, that being one where it's almost like Jesus is aggravated because he goes and he cuts off the ear. I would have cut off more than an ear, personally. If I'm there, I'm cutting off way more than an ear. And then here's Jesus going, whoa, 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 baby, settle down. Let me, let me connect this back to this guy's face and let me do my thing. And by the way, Peter, you're still going to deny me. Because I think, I think Peter had this thing inside of him where he picks his knife up, he slashes the ear, and he probably looks at Jesus and is like, see, I told you I wouldn't deny you. I'm, I'm willing to do this for you. And Peter's going, and Jesus is going, no, 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 no. I'm going to restore everything. Settle down. I'm bigger than you. I'm bigger than this. As we look in John 21, 15 through 19, one of the interesting facts that ends up happening here is it's all after the fact. And Jesus, and Peter, Peter does this thing where, where, where the disciples are on the run. And so what does Peter end up doing? Peter goes back to his old job. And the Bible says that he went back to fishing. He said, I might as well just go back to fishing. After all that he has seen, this is crucial to understand that Peter goes back to his old self. He goes back to his old self. In John 21, 15 through 19, it says, So they had eaten breakfast. Jesus begins to appear to the disciples at this point again. And Jesus says, it's time to have some breakfast. All of this has happened. I've resurrected, and let's, let's have a bite to eat and chat. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, <clears throat> do you love me? more than these. And Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. <clears throat> he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Verse 19 says this, this he spoke signifying by what death, death he would glorify God. He's speaking of Peter's death here. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, now, now, now be with me here on this point. He said to him, the two words that Peter had to hear. He said to him two words that Peter absolutely had to hear, and it was follow me. And it was follow me. Now let's look at two words that they're talking about here when they're speaking of love. Because why does Jesus ask him three times? At a certain point, you read this story and you're like, okay, don't you get it? I just said I love you. Jesus is using two different words here. One, he's using the word, the Greek word agape for love. Now agape means the following, to be fond of, to love dearly, to be full of goodwill, to have preference for, to regard the welfare of, to take pleasure in the thing, prize it above other things, be unwilling to abandon it or without it. A spontaneous feeling which implies to self-giving. The weak sense to be satisfied. And then there's phileo, 
which is the third time Jesus, this is what Jesus is seeking. And phileo means this. It means, <clears throat> it means this. Phileo means the following. Friendship, to be friendly to one. Phileo more, more nearly represents tender affection. To love, to be friendly to. To treat somebody as one of his own people. To have love or affection. You see, Jesus asks Peter twice if he has agape love for him. And Peter responds with this phileo love. So why ask the same question three times? The Bible's not necessarily clear of why Jesus asked it three times. I believe this. I believe Jesus had to ask Peter three times to give Peter the opportunity, to give Peter the ability to respond for the three denials. Peter denied three times. Jesus gave him the opportunity to speak to him three times, to confess the type of love that he had to him. Jesus gave him the opportunity to undo these three denials. What we do know, what we do know is this, is Jesus blots out and destroys Peter's denials right there. He blots them out completely. Peter needs this. Peter needs this in order to carry on on being the Petros which Jesus spoke about. He needs this conversation with Jesus in a powerful way. There's people here this morning that need this similar conversation with Jesus to be everything that he's called you to be. There's people in here who need to make confessions of love, confessions of who Christ is in your life so that you can be completely redeemed. Because this is good, this conversation is good news for us all. Rest, restoration was necessary. Peter's sin needed to be blotted out. If it wasn't, then his, then his and many other sins would have been canceled. And it would have canceled the message of grace. This conversation is important. And the two words that Peter had to hear was follow me because it affirmed his original calling. Now when we look at certain things of how Jesus began to uh, uh, speak to Peter, we understand that there's certain points that Peter had accountability for his actions, for his thoughts, and that determined how Jesus would speak to him. It even determined how Jesus would address him. Ask yourself this question, how does Jesus address you? How does he address you? When we look at this, the certain things that we can begin to apply in our own lives that we learn from Peter are these. Number one, as disciples, of, to be a true disciple, disciples should have vision of what God wants them to become. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, you have to have a vision of what God intends you to become. John 1, 40 through 42. We look at this story here. It says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You see, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called uh, Cephas, which is translated again as stone. The moment Jesus meet, meets Peter, Jesus expects a change. And yes, it's a name change. And when God changed a person's name in the Bible, and he gave him a new name, it was to establish a brand new identity. When you received Christ as your personal Savior, you, were expect, you are expected to have a brand new identity. It's part of your testimony. God changed Abram's name from high father to Abraham, father of multitude. We see it in Genesis. And his wife's name from Sarai, my princess, to Sarah the mother of nations. We know in history that the descendants of Abraham and Sarah formed many nations, many, many nations. God changed Jacob's name from supplanter to Israel, having power with God, and he changed Simon's, God has heard, to Peter, the rock. You see, Peter struggles 
are our struggles. Peter's struggles are our struggles still today. Because when we look at it, if you look at particular sections of Scripture, you will see that Jesus will say, you are Peter, you are no longer Simon. But then he refers to him as Simon. After he says, I'm changing your name, your name's no longer Simon, it's Peter. And then he goes, hey Simon, stop it. Stop it. Stop doing whatever it is that you're doing. You're not, you're not understanding this. It's because Peter began to act like Simon. See, Peter wasn't the new creation Christ had told them that he was to be. And see, for many of us and for many Christians, what ends up happening is we're defined and we come and we have this radical experience with Christ and we claim that God has made us a new creation and we go back to being that old person. And I think what Jesus is trying to do here, it's to get under Peter's skin. And I'm sure Peter's going, he said, my name's Peter, why is he calling me Simon? And Jesus is probably thinking, because you're acting like Simon, you're not acting like Peter. I want you to act like Peter. I want you to act like the new creation I've told you to be. So when you act like Peter, I'll call you Peter. When you act like Simon, I want to call you Simon. And every one of us have this responsibility. Every one of us have to answer for how we are acting. We're acting as the new man with the new covenant and the new relationship with Christ, or we're acting like the old person, the old person that needed Christ as our Savior, that needed that covenant relationship. When the Bible begins to talk, when it begins to speak about Peter, there's a word that it's used here. We remember the story when Jesus comes to the coast and he sits there and he says, listen, drop your nets and follow me. There's a word that's used there, and that word that's used there is meant to divorce itself from. I find that fascinating because when we divorce ourselves from something, from someone, we will never, ever expect to go back to that person, that thing, whatever it may be. So when Peter drops his nets, he's not dropping it under the condition of Jesus saying, listen, let's try this out for a couple years. If it works for you and if it works for me, we'll continue. If not, we'll go our separate ways. You go back to fishing and everything will be fine. No, Jesus looks at Peter and says, divorce yourselves from it, and I don't know that I'm going to let you go back. Actually, you have no guarantee that you'll go back. Actually, I don't even want you to go back to it. I'm going to change your name and everything about you that you're supposed to think, and that's all you've ever known. This is approximately a 30-year-old man that you're asking, it's time to change your whole career and take a chance. You're not even guaranteed anything, but I still want you to do it. And what does the Bible say that he does? They dropped him and they followed. They dropped and they followed. So for all the knocks that Peter can take, we have to look at the very, very things that he does that are radical, that are passionate, that are beautiful, that are unstable at certain points as Jesus saw, but they're so important for us. You have to understand that Jesus will call you to divorce yourself from a life that you can provide for yourself so that you can fully embrace a purpose that only he can provide. Some of us have provided our own lives, and if I asked you, what is the one thing that God did for you that you cannot take any credit for? If you can't answer that quickly, there's a problem. If you can't tell me, no one, no one, not myself, not by my own doing, can take any credit except the grace of God and his beautiful provision, then there's a problem. And we have to address that. Disciples should put God's will first, no matter the cost. Matthew 16, 4 talks about taking up our cross and following him. In verse 24, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Disciples 
should let failure and restoration teach them about God's grace. And this is one of the greatest points that give us, that give us our hope for the future. It's the restoration of Peter. You see, when Jesus looked at him and said, follow me, he said, all's forgiven and you're restored. You're still the rock. You're still the rock that I was talking about. You're still unstable and I still love you and I'm still going to build upon people like you. In Luke, turn your Bibles with me to Luke 23, 31 through 34. It says this as you're turning there. Just listen to me. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. We know this, that following this denial, as we spoke of earlier, following denial, moving into the restoration process that Peter begins to do, that Peter takes up his cross, that Peter does follow Christ. He becomes that rock that Jesus spoke of. Peter leaves his fishing boats and he leaves his tackle gear and he leaves all of those things for good and he follows the call. He goes to Jerusalem. He goes to preach and to lead and to feed and to nurture and to tender the flock. With boldness and confidence, at this particular point, Peter is ready. He trembled at the question of a servant girl, but now he's boldly proclaiming the very thing that God had spoken. He's moving into this thing, not on his own, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter was the main character in the worst denial in the history of life. But what we know this and what we have the hope for ourselves and the takeaway for us is this, is that God still used Peter to launch what we have here today into existence. As unstable as he was, as un, uh, uncharacteristically just everywhere as he was, God still used Peter, the unstable rock, to proclaim the Petros, to proclaim the faith that he had within Christ. Peter wasn't perfect, neither are we. That's why Peter's story is us. That's why Peter's story is who we are. That's why Peter, when we look at his life, we should be able to so resonate it. Because for so many of us, there are confessions that need to be made. There are confessions before Christ that say, Christ, that say, Jesus, I have not lived the new creation you've called me to be. I've gone back to be the old man time and time again. I'm not living like you ever meant anything to me. There's some of us in here today that are broken, that are lonely, that are uh, depressed, that are stressed, that are feeling uh, the weight of the world upon our lives. And those are people who've never come to confess anything to Christ to allow him to restore, to allow him to work on our imperfections, to allow him to extend the grace and to extend the faith and to stretch us, yes, beyond our own measure, but to be there every step of the way. For some of us in here tonight, we've never made, uh, we've never taken the opportunity for Christ to restore us fully unto himself because we've never confessed anything, because we've never brought it upon him. So we've never allowed ourselves to be transformed into the renewing of Christ. I want to tell you this morning, you have that opportunity here today. I want to tell you something that's so powerful about the story of Peter is, is that Peter is, is me. 
The Peter is you, the Peter is us, the Peter is the church, the, the person of who Peter is, is exactly, exactly who we are today. We're unstable. We are not perfect. And Christ sees past that. And this morning, I want to give you the opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity to know. I want to give you the opportunity to be that proclamation of Christ is King in your own life. I want to give you the opportunity to come and confess before God and say, these are the things I've not been. I don't know my identity in you. God, I don't know who I am supposed to be in you. I don't have an evangelistic uh, continual uh, pace in my life. I don't have a discipleship pace in my life. I've built myself to be an island unto myself. And I have no strong relationship with you. I'm going to ask that the prayer team make their way forward. And what I want to do this morning is I want to turn, I want to turn these altars into opportunities. I want to turn this altar into an opportunity for you this morning. If the worship team would come as well. And we're going to close with the opportunity for you to be able to confess, for you to be able to open your heart, for Christ to restore it, for you to be able to open your life into saying, Jesus, transform my heart. Jesus, transform my life. Jesus, make me a new man. And never let me go back to living the old man. The beautiful story about Peter was the moment Christ had said, follow me, he took up that cross. The moment Jesus has said, you'll deny me, and that's okay. He knew exactly who he was using within your own life. He knows exactly what he has. Within your own shortcomings, within your own sin that you feel that you are so in over your head on. You're probably right. You're probably right, but there's restoration for you. But God is calling you back to be that new creation. God is calling you back to be that child. That God is calling you to be that new, that newness, to walk in it strongly. I want you to close your eyes with me right now. And I want you to take a moment. And I want you to examine your heart. The actual denial of Peter can never be repeated. Yet we all deny the Lord in our own way. And the one solace we have, the one hope that we have is God's grace flows abundantly to me, to you, to each of us, to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, accepting Him as Savior. To all of us who are called lambs and sheep who follow our shepherd's voice, the rock of our salvation, the rock of the church. Examine your heart knowing that Christ came into this world, emptied Himself and became nothing. That He took the very nature of a servant. That He humbled Himself and became obedient to death. Even to death on the cross. Examine your heart knowing that He did that for Peter. He did that for you. He did that for me. That each of us has stumbled and fallen gotten into holes that we can't pull ourselves out of or maybe we don't even want to get out of know this morning that Jesus is reaching out to you to pick you up, to clean you, to empower you and just as he did to Peter this morning I want to tell you church, he's calling to you saying follow me follow me, follow me he's 
grace flows into us is forgiven and healed people. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to open up these altars and these altar workers are here. And what they want to do is they want to pray with you. They want to give you a chance to confess. Listen, we don't have to confess to anyone except to God. But what we want to do is give you the opportunity to just have somebody. You can walk up to them and say, can you just pray for me? And you know what you need prayer for. And they're just going to be here to believe for you. They're just going to be here to believe with you. If you don't feel comfortable telling them, that's great. Just say, I just need prayer. That's good enough for them. These guys live to pray for people. Give them the opportunity to do that. If you want to confess something in your heart and have somebody believe, I want you to make your way up here. If you have something that you say, I need God to restore me unto himself, I want you to make your way up here. And if you feel comfortable, share that with somebody. If you say, I don't need, I walked into this church knowing nothing about Peter, about rocks, or about Jesus. But I know I need you now. I want you to make your way up here. And that I want you to tell someone, I need to receive him my life so that you can make that confession and they can lead you into that road to your new walk with Christ. I want everyone to stand with you right now. Christ is calling you. If you take nothing away from what I said, if you take nothing away from what I said this morning, I want you to know this. Christ is calling you saying, follow me. Christ is calling you saying, follow me. So we're gonna, I'm going to dismiss with a prayer. If you feel that at any point when I'm praying, I want you to make your way up here. They're going to stay here the whole time. We're going to stay here and pray with you. You can feel free to make your way up right now if you like. If not, after the close of my prayer, you are dismissed. I'm going to ask that you leave um, conscious that people are going to be making their way up here to confess. If you're in the cafe, we're going to give you a couple moments to make your way up here. But make your way up here right now. If you feel Christ is calling you, if you feel like you need to be renewed, if you feel like you need to be transformed, if you feel like you might be like Peter and you feel you have done these things that Christ cannot redeem you for, know that he is calling you right now. Father, I pray right now, God, I pray that we would declare your name. God, I pray that through your words spoken today that you are glorified, Father. I pray, Father, that each and every person in this room would know they're called to declare your holy name, Father. I pray that those that need to be transformed by your Holy Spirit, that those that need to be transformed by the renewing of your spirit within their lives, Father, would make their way up here and be prayed for, Father, that they would hear your word and spend time alone with you, Father. I pray that walking from here, those who do not know you would come to know you. Let no one walk out of here without making a confession of faith towards you, Father. God, I thank you for your word. God, I, Jesus, I thank you for the demonstration of your relationship with Peter. God gives us hope. God, I thank you that the story is told for hope, for grace, for peace, God. That though we are unshakable, that though we are insecure, that though we are unstable in all of our ways, you still see value in us. And you still desire to use us for your glory, for your honor, for your praise. In Jesus' name I pray.